Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wheelhouse DNA. I was definitely practicing magical thinking. Oh, well... You know, Jay can live until they come up with a new treatment or we just have to deal with everything that comes up. I mean, to a point, I was being completely unrealistic, honestly. I did everything I could to help Jay live. I wish I had done more to help him die. Hi, I'm Kelly Rizzo, and that was Katie Couric, and this is Comfort Food from Wheelhouse DNA and ACAST. In 2022, my husband, the legendary comedian Bob Saget, passed away. I've always thought of myself as many things, but a widow was never one of them. In the depths of my grief, in the aftermath, I connected with Bob's friends and family on a deeper level than ever before. And I formed a new group with other people who had been through the same grief I was experiencing. And people would just come over to be with me and hang out. We'd talk about life, about death, and about everything in between. And more often than not, those conversations were happening over some really great food. And the irony is that I've loved making comforting meals for my audience for years, long before I even knew I needed them. That's why I wanted to create this show, to help anyone else who might be going through it. Maybe you just like to cook and eat and hear what some incredible guests consider to be their most comforting dish. But because grief comes from a lot of different places, not just death, I found that talking it through is the best way to deal with it. So whatever you're into, I think you'll find something for you here. This is Comfort Food. Grab a plate and dig in. Katie Couric is one of our generation's most recognizable and beloved broadcast journalists and TV presenters. She's had a career most people only dream of, with positions at CNN, NBC News, Dateline, CBS Evening News, 60 Minutes, and ABC News, just to name a few. She's interviewed some of the most incredible people our culture has to offer. And honestly, if I keep going over her credits, we might just be here all day and I'll get a little intimidated. But her most important credit, to me at least, is being an amazing friend and confidant to those around her. Her story is pretty incredible, but it's not without some hurdles. She lost her husband in 1998 and she's had to overcome that grief in order to be present for her daughters, her friends and family, and her career. So without further ado, please welcome Katie Couric. Katie, I am so, so honored and thrilled and happy to be doing this with you and to have you here. So thank you for being here. Are you kidding? This is going to be so fun. I'm so excited to be part of this new podcast series. And I think it's such a good idea, Kelly. Comfort food, right? I mean, I think we could all use some comfort right now. The world is so tumultuous and life is so crazy. And I just think it's a great a great format, and I'm super excited to eat. Well, <laughs> well, thank you. And you're right, because nowadays, well, always, you know, life can be hard. That's how we met each other in the first place is because we both went through something that was very, very difficult, the loss of a loved one, of, of a husband, 
about 20 plus years apart. Right. So you had gone through this way before I had met you. But the reason why we were brought together through a mutual friend was because you had gone through this. And when I lost Bob, you were so kind as to reach out and just say, look, I've been there. I know what you're going through. I know what this is like. And if you need a friend or if you want to talk, I'm here. I think, you know, when Jay died, it would have been super helpful. This was back in 1998. It was before we could communicate so easily with each other. But I think it would have been really helpful to talk to people who had been on this journey. You know, it's it's very different. Jay had cancer and he lived for nine months after his diagnosis of metastatic colon cancer. Bob died very suddenly. I had a friend who just died very, very suddenly. And her family and I, Kelly, were talking about sort of the differences with a prolonged illness versus a sudden death. And they are obviously both excruciating in their own ways. But, you know, I my heart broke for you. I n- knew how much you love Bob. And I just wanted to reach out because I had learned so much. And I just wanted to be comforting to you if if you wanted it. You know, I tried not to impose myself just to say, hey, I'm here. It was in the early days, quite soon after Bob had died, that I reached out. And I think the first time we got together and I brought Amanda Klutz, I think you were really still in quite a state of shock. Yeah, I was. And what's so interesting is to get a message from somebody like you who, of course, you know, I had known for known of for so many years. And, you know, you were such a, a presence in our <laughs> society for decades that it disarms you a little bit, though, where if let's say I had gotten a message from you just typically like, oh, hey, want to get together, I would have been like, oh, my God, this is Katie Kirk's reaching out to me. How exciting. But when you get a message, when you're, you have a shared experience like grief, especially the loss of a husband, it completely disarms you and it puts you on the same level with that person right. to start from you know th- this place of understanding and empathy in that moment. It did. And I don't know. It's just been it's been really a joy for me to get to know you and to see you starting to come out of that terribly dark time and trying to live. And, you know, I've always told people who experience these losses, sudden or otherwise, that we're all terminal. We all have a finite period of time on this earth, and we have to find joy, love, and positive things while we can. And of course, the grieving process, you have to go through it. But I, I was sort of selfish after Jay died. I thought, you know, I am going to have to live a good life, a ha- strive to live a happy life, not only for me, but for my daughters. And that helped propel me and, and help me deal with Jay's death, but also help me move forward. Yeah, and you just spoke about the process a bit, which of course is very different for everybody. But what you had mentioned was he had nine months. So you had a nine month, you know, I guess 
prep. Well, not yeah. that. No, I think, well, you're right. I mean, I was definitely practicing magical thinking and, oh, well, you know, Jay can live until they come up with a new treatment or we just have to deal with everything that comes up. I mean, to a point I was being completely unrealistic, honestly. And I think I write in my book, Kelly, I did everything I could to help Jay live. I wish I had done more to help him die because we never had a conversation. We never, we never sort of said, what if, because I was too frightened to go there. I was too frightened to actually face the possibility. And, um, so I don't know. What were you talking about? No, I, no, I was just saying the process because what, yes, my situation was very sudden, but, and you said nine months seemed like a long time, but nine months really isn't that long. I mean, if somebody has a terminal illness for years, I feel like maybe that person or, you know, the spouse and the family can come to terms with it a little more, but nine months is still pretty fast. So you were almost in that middle. You had a little bit of both worlds. It was sudden enough because nine months isn't that long, but it was still not an instantaneous situation. Yeah. So you had a little bit of time, even if you were living in the, he's going to be okay, he's going to be okay world, you still had a little bit of time to prepare some thoughts <laughs> that, that that was happening, but yet it wasn't overnight. You, you know? know, and as a society, I think we have such a difficult time uh, handling and processing and dealing with death and loss. Yeah. And that we need to normalize these conversations, talk about it. It's something we that will happen to everyone, and yet we have so much fear of it, which I can understand because people want to live there, you know, live. Right. But but how do we how do we a help people die? How do we help people survive a death? How do we kind of talk about our wishes in a way? that will be helpful to the survivors. I think there are a lot of conversations about this that that need to be normalized, that I think society is sort of moving towards. I was at getting coffee with my daughter this morning, and the guy at the coffee place said, oh, he, he knows Ellie. She goes there all the time. And uh, Ellie has a podcast with her sister, Carrie. And they were talking, I think, about losing their dad. And he said, you know, it was hard. And I thought something bad had happened to him. And he said, no, I'm writing my thesis on death. And he said, you know, countries all over the world deal with it much better than people in this country. How other places, it's 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 much more a part of life. Right. And we also forget or don't think about the fact that through these really, really hard times and through dealing with the death, that there can be some levity. There can be some even humor that comes from it. That's what I got from Bob. I mean, Bob had so much death in his life and so much loss. And the reason he became a comedian was because he was dealing with all this stuff. And and there can be some beautiful things that come from it. Bob would always use like gallows humor to help like get through certain things because it does help. And I never thought that even making jokes in the face of death or sadness was appropriate before. And then since it happened to me, I mean, I was like hearing Bob like say jokes in my head that, and then I would say them out loud. And I, I remember there were a couple things that I said, even very early on that my sister was like, Kelly, you, you can't say that. And I was like, Bob would say it. 
Yes, I can. It's a great coping mechanism. I remember picking out what my husband would be buried in. And I was with his sister and I looked at one of his favorite jackets, you know, blazers, sports jackets, whatever. He was a very natty dresser. And I remember saying to her, oh, I think he might be too hot in this, you know. Um, And we laughed because you have to kind of acknowledge the, not only the heartache, but just the absurdity of the human condition. What are the things that can help us get through and the things that can help us cope? And for me, one of those things has always been a good comfort food meal. Something that can just make us feel a little cozy, a little warm, even in the midst of something really sad and upsetting. I mean, even if you're just sick at home one day and you have a cold, you're like, what, what's going to make me feel good right now? And that's why I wanted to do this is we could have these conversations about times that were maybe a little bit more difficult, but it can bring us back to maybe even feeling like a kid where you have that comfort food in front of you and it just makes things a little bit better and they have uh, things that evoke really happy memories yeah and also i think not only you can do it you can eat these things alone but also i think of comfort food as a shared experience too yes you know that you're with your family or you're with a close friend and i think finding comfort in friendship and community uh, along with comfort in in food and nourishment, right, for your for your soul is really helpful. And, um, yeah, I think it's going to be really fun to listen to all these conversations with people. And not only did I give you, like, a comfort food, I gave you a comfort meal. Right, which is what it should be. And this is also a shared experience because, you know, chances are if you're making, like, a pot of chili for comfort food, like, you're not eating it by yourself. You're sharing Right, that. right, right. And this, of course, what I picked was something my mom made. <gasps> And I think for me, it just um, brings back memories of my mom who has passed away, who I miss every day. And I don't know, it just brings me back to my kitchen table in Arlington, Virginia, growing up in the same house, the house my parents lived in for 57 years. And, you know, and just being on that linoleum floor, (laughs) this, you know, old-fashioned kitchen table, my dad in the same place, my mom in the same place, you know, and and the four current kids. And uh, so so I think for me, comfort comfort is synonymous with memories. Well, now I'm even more honored to be able to share in this meal with you, knowing how special it was. So, okay, without further ado, bring in the comfort let's, fruit, let's baby. Let's bring it in, and then once it's in front of us, we'll 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 see what we're working with. Okay, and look, TV, TV trays, trays. kind of fancy TV trays here. Oh, look, <laughs> look, thank you. All on one plate. I know. Wow, this okay. is so exciting. Okay, so what do we got here? Well, I mean. You had said that meatloaf and mashed potatoes and chocolate chip cookies (laughs) were your comfort food. They are, and I'm going to have a bite of this. And I do believe that this is turkey meatloaf. We Mm. did try to find non-turkey meatloaf. In California, that probably isn't possible, right? I can't believe you found turkey. Oh, and I'm a big, and I like how this meatloaf has a lot of veggies in it, because this is what I do too at home. It is, yeah. Now, this is probably a newfangled meatloaf. I Mm. had pretty old-fashioned meatloaf because my mom was a very much a 50s and 60s cook. Like that um, Betty Crocker cookbook. Yeah, but even, you know, my mom would make 
meatloaf. And of course, it included a can of Campbell's tomato soup, breadcrumbs, egg, and then she would form it into this loaf. Mm -hmm. Then she'd pour half of the Campbell's soup on top of it. (laughs) Put a couple slices of bacon. Anybody born in the late 50s or early 60s probably knows what I'm talking about. Stick it in the oven. It would have like this 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 kind of orange grease from the ground beef at the bottom of the pan. That would be our meatloaf. And then she would obviously make mashed potatoes that were pretty lumpy, but still <laughs> really good. So does this generate some of those cozy memories even though this is, you know, maybe a little bit more um, a modern L- take, L- L- LA chic, <laughs> yeah. modern meatloaf. Yeah, it does definitely. And uh, you know, my brother-in-law Jay's little brother Chick used to call this Hitten and Holden food. You know, this is this is going to really fill you up. Mm. And uh, so, yeah, thank you guys for getting this for me, and I'm really hungry. You know, to be honest, I I think meatloaf kind of gets a bad rap. Um. <clears throat> because it seems either A, maybe not very healthy, or B, a little too, like, old-fashioned. Or I don't, I don't know why it does, because what's, like, what's not to love about it? But I would make it for Bob all the time. Really? And was he, Bob a meatloaf he guy? He was a meatloaf guy. Oh, he was wow. A really, he even loved meatloaf sandwiches oh, and all the meatloaf. Oh, by loaf. the way, can I just say meatloaf sandwiches are very un- underappreciated. They are yeah. so good. Cold meatloaf. What do I mean, you all why is think? It, why is it different than like I'm a burger? I'm looking at everyone. What do you guys think of meatloaf sandwiches in this room? Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Wow. Three thumbs up. There you go. Yeah. They're I mean, really, really good. So I would make a healthier, because you know, I always try to get him to eat healthy. It didn't always go according to plan, but. What would you do? I mean, what did, would so you I make would, a turkey meatloaf? I would do a turkey meatloaf or even like a chicken meatloaf. Uh-huh. But then I would saute a ton of veggies, like um, onions, mushrooms, um, some t- like spinach, um, maybe some peppers, and saute it all. Get them like kind of cooked, uh-huh. and then add it into the meatloaf with some like ketchup and some of the sauces. And yeah. then I would also make the sauce and then put it on top and then bake it, and it was so good. Yeah, and he was a big fan. And I think that's a great idea and a, a great way to put. Get more vegetables in your diet, but yeah, which it's funny because sometimes I would—that's what parents do for right, kids. Right, right. I was going to say, I, I think Jessica Seinfeld has a whole kids. book about <laughs> right. that. Yeah, like I didn't have kids, but Bob, in a sense, was you know like my kid experiment where I would be like, all right, I need you to eat healthy, so I'm going to sneak veggies into your meatloaf. Did he like to cook, Bob? I wouldn't say he liked to cook. He didn't cook a lot, and he wasn't great at it. His bachelor meal before I came along was chicken sausage and baked beans. So he would have a can of baked beans and then he would take a chicken sausage and cut it up and put it in the can of baked beans. So kind of sort of a a riff on beans and franks. Yeah. But that's what he would eat. That's what he would make himself funny all the time. And so that's why he was very grateful when I came around and started (laughs) making him meatloaf. Yeah. Or anything else. Here's a question. Yeah. When you went through all of this with Jay back in 98. How old were your girls again? Six and two. Six and two. Yeah. Now, was there, let's say, a comfort food that you made for them during this time? Um, Did they want to eat this too? Because like maybe you wanted to eat this and it was comforting for you. And so you're like, all right, 
this is what they wanted to eat? Or was there something that throughout the grief for them as well that you, whether it was food or maybe something else that you did just to comfort them? Yeah, you know, they were so little. I don't think there was anything in particular. I mean, they like sort of your basic kid stuff, like pasta with butter and things like that, although I really tried to get them to eat a lot of vegetables and healthy things. I remember we would, I would use food as a way to remind them of their dad. Like when we ate hamburgers, for example, I'd say, oh, your dad loved to put a lot of ketchup on his hamburger, or your dad loved this, or your dad put mustard, Dijon mustard on his corn on the cob, which is so weird. And then Ellie would put Dijon mustard on her corn on the cob. Did any of that stuff stick? Like where nowadays they'll still do that maybe as a little tribute to him? Not really. I mean, (laughs) I don't think they, I don't think they still do that. But for the longest time in the summer when we had corn, they would do that. So well, I've I never heard I, that, but maybe maybe I'll try it as a tribute to him because that sounds interesting, right? Yeah. And uh, so I think I don't think we had anything in particular that we did. I had uh, you know when I was raising the girls, I had a wonderful housekeeper named Rose, and she just made a lot of comfort food and. I think the girl's favorite meal was a roast. I mean, this is not very exotic, but a roast chicken with mashed potatoes and gravy. And she made this delicious spinach souffle that was pretty healthy that I loved. I have to ask her for that recipe. Um, Sounds good. But, you know, and we always made a point. It was very important for me raising kids that we all had dinner together every night. You know, that that was just a non-negotiable part of our day. And um, so I can't think of any particular food, but certainly food and having a dinner together and laughing and just being together. And I had a wonderful nanny named Lori Beth. And the four of us were, you know, we were we were a family. And I used to say that Lori Beth was, you know, my my wife. (laughs) (laughs) Because she was so great and helpful. And, you know, I'm doing the Today Show. I'm traveling. I have to leave at a moment's notice to cover stories. And she was always there. And I've always been so grateful because I give Lori Beth so much credit for the young women Ellie and Carrie have become. Wow. So it sounds like from day one, you had a really strong support system and great people around you to not only help you, but to help the girls and to maybe keep you a little grounded and yeah. especially kind of that touchstone that is if, you know, because everyone knows you as this career woman that yeah. you had this amazing career and, but you're also a mom and you also were grieving and you lost your husband. So to have those people to kind of keep that constant in your life. I'm sure it's very helpful. Definitely. I mean, I think even when Jay was alive, it was really important for me to have a delineation between my family and the craziness of my career. And Lori Beth actually came to us about, um, gosh, six months to a year after Jay had passed away. Lori Beth was so nice. She came and later she told me that she had had a dream And she had seen a figure at the end of her bed. I don't necessarily believe in all this stuff, but she had seen this sort of milky figure at the end of the bed. 
saying, please take care of Katie. And she said when she got to the apartment and was helping Ellie on her, Ellie, I think, was playing games on her computer or something, she looked up and she saw a photo of Jay on the bulletin board in front of the computer, and she said, that's that's the person who told me, who appeared at the foot of my bed. Jeez. Isn't that crazy? <sighs> yeah, I feel like the closer you are to the actual passing of a loved one, the more, you know, these types of stories and these occurrences and, you know, phenomena. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. You know, I, I used to go to bed and ask Jay to show me a sign and to, you know, appear and come to me in my sleep. And, you know, I really wanted that. And I just don't think I'm particularly open yeah. to that kind of experience. But yes, you do hear stories of strange phenomenons, and and I remember waking up, and it would be one eleven or two twenty two or three thirty three or four forty four. Yeah, and I looked it up, and they said it just you know happenstance. But I kept thinking, is this some kind of way Jay is communicating with me? I don't know. Well, that's why when a couple of these things happened to me. Because I'm not a big sign person and I, you know, not that I don't necessarily believe in it, but I was like, I, okay, like, how, how do you know whether it's a sign or it's just a coincidence? You just don't know. So, but when things happened to me that were a little crazy, I'm like, oh. Like what? Then, so, there are two that stand out right off the top of my head. One was, um, and 
you probably remember this a bit, when I was feeling a little, um, I was quite upset when I had to move out of Bob's house and into my new house because I felt like I was, I was abandoning him. I was leaving his house that he loved. I felt like, oh my gosh, am I moving? Am I moving on from him? Am I leaving him behind? And then when I found this new house, I walked in and the first thing I saw was this little wooden figurine toy thing that's very unusual. And it just, it was on the mantle and Bob had the exact same wooden toy on his nightstand for years. And the fact that I walked into this house and the exact same thing was on the mantle. And I'm like, that's weird. And to me, it was almost like, all right, Bob's saying that it's okay. Like, this is like this is the house. This is where you should be. This is your new comfy place that's going to take care of you in this next phase of your life. And it just made me feel better about, you know, moving physically moving uh, because I was like, oh, I, I feel like it was sanctioned by Bob. And then the other one was Bob was really big into doves. And he would always said that when his mom passed, that she had said right before she passed, she goes, and he did this in his standup. He would say like, Bobby, when, when I go, I'm going to come back as a dove. And he was always like, mom, don't do that. Like now I'm terrified of doves. Every time I see a dove, I think it's my mom and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I was with one of his daughters and we were at our at his house. You know, this is maybe a few weeks after he passed. And there was a dove on the balcony that like wouldn't leave. And I was just staring at this dove and this dove was staring back at me. I said to Aubrey, I go, hey, look, it's a dove. I think it's your dad. And she and we both look at it. And right then the dove goes like and like literally pooped like right there and like stared right at us and like pooped right right on the on the patio. And we both just started laughing and we're like that that's definitely <laughs> like that make that makes all the sense in the world and it was just this moment of like yeah okay so like now whenever I see doves I, I think I'm like okay it's Bob. so that's yeah. so sweet well whether it's a sign and or not but I think our interpretation yeah. of some of these events are helpful if it's something that makes us feel better it makes us feel better what were some of the things that people did to you, because this is so fascinating to me now, having gone through this, people that, things people did that were helpful to you and things people did that were not helpful to you, like during the grieving process. Mm. Well, sorry, just took a bite of meat, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> nothing's it's, nothing's going to, it's, it's what we nothing do Nothing stays it's, between me and this meatloaf. I know, I'm, I'm right there with you. There was a period of time, you know, when Jay was diagnosed and that got out in the press. And I remember being so furious when the mother of a kid in Ellie's school came up and said, are you okay? I heard it's really bad. <gasps> and I was so mad. First of all, I didn't want people talking about this. It was Jay's life. It was his business. And I just got so mad. So I think people don't know what to say, yeah. you know. I remember another friend sent me a card, I think almost every week, just thinking about you. Please call if there's anything I can do. And then I think people need to be more proactive just in general. And, you know, saying what can I do isn't as good as, hey, I'm going to get a manicure. Would you like to come? Or, yes. hey, I bet you could use some time on your own. I got you a massage. 
or hey, I'm can I take the girls to this carnival that's going on in the neighborhood? I think can I mow the grass? I mean, we didn't have a yard, but we lived in an apartment. But you know, little things like that, I think, can be really helpful. Then you have to follow the cues of the people you're trying to help. They're circling the wagons and they really don't want it. That's one thing. But I even really appreciated people who kept trying, who kept kind of checking in. And so I think that was really helpful. And, you know, I, I have an incredible group of friends. And I remember after the funeral, they all came over and they helped me send out those cards, those, um, you know, thank you notes for people who had even either donated to the NCI for colon cancer research or it sent flowers and people who got just kind of Oh God, you sent thank you notes? Stuff. Was I supposed to do that? No. <laughs> I don't think people ex- expect I did not them. Do that. But we had printed out like the family of Jay Monahan appreciates your expression of sympathy. Something like that. And so I have like this whole dining room table full of like women who I knew from New York and from my neighborhood or moms from school who just kind of descended and said, we're taking care of this. Uh, One person in particular, Deborah Gelston, she just, you know, she got photos of Jay and she blew them up for the, you know, the reception after, after his funeral. And all that kind of thing, just helping with logistics is really helpful because, you know, there's a lot of stuff, as you know, Kelly, you have to do when someone passes away and you have to figure out everything from picking out a casket, how morbid that sounds. Jay wasn't cremated. I want to be cremated. And John Mulner, my husband now, he laughs and he says, where do you want your ashes? He said, I'm going to just take them and I'm going to spread them all over the country because in death, as in life, you're going to be spread too thin. (laughs) I said, okay, you can do that, that. that whatever you want. That makes sense. And yeah, I think that there were so many things that were helpful. And to me, it was the people that showed up and did the things that you just don't want to do. Or couldn't didn't have the bandwidth to do, as you said, right. like picking out like the the casket, picking out. I mean, there was no way I could do it. There was there was just no way. There was absolutely no way. I did not have the wherewithal at the time to do that. So for people who step up and just handle that stuff, I'm so, so, so forever grateful for those people. Where is Bob buried? He is at Mount Sinai Memorial Park, which the irony is, you know, he always had a very complicated relationship with Full House. He loved it, of course, but then he didn't like being pigeonholed as right. Danny Tanner for, you know, his career. He's like, I'm so much more than that, um, even though there were a lot of aspects of him that were very much like Danny Tanner. <laughs> yeah. But he is right across the street from Warner Brothers and the stage like literally across the street, pretty much. I mean, Mount Sinai is Did right across from stage t- 24 or 26, whatever it was, where he filmed Full House. Like you can almost throw a stone to it. Like, Did that. he pick that plot? It's where his parents are. Oh. So he's maybe, he's very close to where his parents are, not right next to it. Because once again, this wasn't, you know, this right. happened very quickly. But it is a beautiful place. And I have visited him several times and it's, it gets easier each time. What what about Jay? Do you- I he's buried in a cemetery called Holy Rood on Long Island. He was Catholic. I have been 
probably a handful of times. It's it's pretty far from the city. Yeah. I took Carrie there when she was older uh, to see her dad, where her dad was buried. He's buried next to his parents and grandparents. Oh, wow. um, I, I don't get a lot of comfort or, you know, I, I think about him all the time, often. And just being physically there, I, it, it, I don't find it comforting or I don't find it an obligation that I need right. to fulfill. Well, what has your relationship been with, let's say, the grief? Like, how is it? changed over the years and what is it now? I mean, is it, how do you look back on that time and then how are you feeling about it now? I mean, I think in many ways, I feel like they're two distinct chapters of my life. This unthinkable event happened, you know, I'm 41 years old or 40 when Jay was diagnosed, you know, top of the world professionally, two extraordinary little girls uh, living on Park Avenue. You know, I grew up in a very middle-class neighborhood in Arlington, Virginia. We never had a lot of disposable income. I I was never wanting for anything. My dad said I could go wherever I wanted to for college and, you know, if they valued education, but we just didn't have a fancy upbringing, you know, didn't belong to a country club. We were just solidly middle class. I mean, I was successful beyond my wildest expectations. I was, you know, anchor of the Today Show. I was like, what? And then my whole world came crashing down. And going through that, the trauma of that, having really never experienced loss before. Yeah. You know, Jay used to say I was born on a sunny day. And it's true. I mean, I had been unbelievably lucky. And then suddenly, it's about as real as it gets, you know, when you're dealing with something like this. And I still think about Jay a lot. I wonder what what we'd be doing. Someone asked me the other day, would you think you'd still be married? I said, yeah, I do. I think probably would have we would have had challenges, but we would have worked them out. You know, and every time Ellie or Carrie hit a milestone, they graduate from college or they get an award at school or they do something remarkable. They get married. You know, Ellie got married and we paid tribute to Jay by having this, uh, these musicians play a song called Ashokan's Farewell, which is this beautiful, melancholy, lilting sort of uh, lullaby as Ellie walked down the aisle by herself, you know. I, I just think it's one of those things that you'll live with forever that will come in waves, and you'll always wonder what if, or what would Jay think of this, or... How would he feel about what's going on politically? What would he say about, you know, some legal case since he was a lawyer? But I also feel like he was such a gift to me. And I have these two incredible daughters. Yeah. You know, my minister, when my mom died, and I was very close to my parents. I mean, I adored my parents. He said, those who love grief deeply grieve deeply. And I always thought that was so helpful because I think it makes you shift your attention, not from the grief to the love. And instead of sorrow, you feel more gratitude for what you had. I often say to people that if you are grieving intensely and you feel overwhelmed with sadness, that is because you love some, someone profoundly and deeply, and they were incredibly meaningful to you. 
and how lucky you were to have that. That's my entire perspective nowadays. And to be honest, I got there pretty quickly, I think, of shifting to from I, I never felt like, why me? It's not fair. Life sucks. It's not fair. I never really felt that. I It was pretty soon after that I just switched to gratitude and just being grateful. Because I mean, Bob, we only had six years together and like three and a half years married. But I still was so grateful for that time. And nowadays I'm like, God, how lucky am I that I got to be the person in his life at the very end that got to make him happy and be a good wife and show him unconditional love that in his mind, like he had never really had that experience before and that's all he wanted so badly and so to be able to be that person for him I'm like lucky me yeah and I also think you know conversely Kelly I always think about how both Bob and Jay I mean not as ripped off as people who die even younger you know but I think god they got so ripped off there was so much they didn't get to experience and that makes me really mad yeah yeah, I get I get sad for Bob when I think of like how it happened that it was just such a I mean senseless senseless accident like you just fall and hit your head and like now you just never come home again. Like that is the part that's yeah. always been really hard for me to wrap my head around. Like an illness is one thing. It's like you can't, you know, it's an illness. What are you going to do about it? And I'm sure you're plagued by what if, what if, like what if, what if I had been with him or what if. I've had the questions. I I, I did that. Like what if I had made sure Jay went to a doctor before he had the symptoms of stage four colon cancer? What if I made sure he got yearly physicals? What if I had noticed he had lost weight and I had said, you really need to go see a doctor? Like, you know, what if, what if? Yeah. And for me, it was, I wondered a little bit about what if, but. I think had, let's say, I was supposed to be with him and then I decided last minute not to go, I would have had guilt or regret for that. But, like, I I didn't have any guilt or regret because, like, I wasn't supposed to be, you know, I wasn't supposed to be there. I wasn't, you know, wasn't part of the, the plan. I mean, logistically and I guess more even spiritually. Right. So, you know, it's, it's, uh. I've I've realized that not having the guilt or regret has made things so much easier yeah. because, you know, when your last words to each other are, I love you, I love you, I can't wait to see you tomorrow. Because, you know, when it's a sudden accident, at least when it's, you know, an, an illness, like you, you can, you make sure that your goodbyes are kind, loving goodbyes. But when it's an accident, I mean, there are people who are like, I got in a huge fight with him right before. And then they regret that forever. Yeah. And part of my gratitude comes from knowing that like our last words to each other were nothing but just love and compassion. That has gone a long way in terms of being at peace. A friend of mine just died uh, so about sorry, less than a week ago. This really close friend of mine who I've known since we were 22. We started out at CNN. She was so special. And... You know, I was saying to a friend, gosh, I want to be more like Donna. I want to have the focus and attention and the the presence she always had and the the singular attention she paid on our relationship. It was interesting because her sons, I'm I I had 
the eulogies printed in my newsletter because I thought they were so meaningful. But her son, Zach, and, and Jake spoke, and she lived a life where nothing was ever left unsaid. And she always, you, she was always grateful and always expressed her appreciation for the people she loved. And one of the last texts she wrote to me was, I'm always here if you ever want to talk about anything, if you're having issues or just want to, you know, discuss whatever. I'm paraphrasing, you know, I'm always here. And I do think we can take some lessons from people who had lives well lived and incorporate them in how we live now and to not only honor them, but to also be better people. And in the, in the, craziness of life. I think you forget about those things, but to concentrate on that and to take what made them so special and, and, and practice it daily, I think is also a really important thing. I don't know about you, maybe it's because I'm 66, but when I go to funerals and people talk about people, I'm like, gosh, I never knew that about that person. I, oh, really? And I was like, I wish I had talked to that person. So I think it also makes you reassess your relationships, pay really close attention to the important ones, and keep those people close and really get to know someone. Don't look at your phone while you're with somebody. Like, give them your undivided attention. You know, that was a gift that I think my friend Donna gave everyone. And I think, I hope everyone will carry it with them. Well, that certainly sounds like as you said, a life well lived to me. And I just hope that, I mean, first off, your wisdom that you've imparted here today is going to help so many people understand this journey and be able to just appreciate life more, appreciate loss more. And I, you know, even though it was a bit of a heavy topic, I hope yeah, it was the a heavy meatloaf topic. and mashed potatoes. <laughs> it was a heavy helped. topic, but help? you know, I, it did. <laughs> and honestly, it's important to talk about some of this yeah. stuff. I know because yes, it's heavy, but it is part of life. You know, it's going to happen to everyone listening to this podcast for better or for worse. I mean, yeah. it is, it's, it's, no one gets uh, out alive, right? It's unavoidable. And I think to, to normalize these conversations is a really good thing. And I'm, I'm thinking about it as somebody who's getting older and thinking about the legacy I want to leave my daughters and the lessons I hope to impart. So I think, I think it's, it's, it's nice to have these, these conversations, nice to talk about it. I don't shy away from it at all. No. I used to be terrified of these You've conversations. You've been so open about it since the day we, I mean, obviously since way before we met, but with me, you've been so open about it. And that's what I'm so appreciative for and just so grateful to have you in my life. So grateful to have you as my guest. Dun, dun, and dun, dun. I know. And I'm, I'm just, so grateful for my meatloaf and mashed potatoes. Well, the little treat you can have when we're done here is the big chocolate chip cookie that you have not yet touched. That is really a big chocolate chip I know. cookie. I already had a bite. It's very That's good. That's a bit daunting. I might take it home and give it to my All daughter. Right, All right. Or it can be used in a couple different meals because it is huge but <laughs> thank you katie for being oh, here. this yeah. means so much and i'm so excited for everything you're doing kelly and i'm really proud of you you know spreading your wings and trying new things and that just rhymed I did, and yeah. i didn't mean it to but you know i hope you keep going and growing and 
mowing and towing. (laughs) Well, you've been such a mentor to me and I just really, and just a tremendous help in so many areas of my life. And I'm happy we uh, had our little comfort food meal together. So, And I totally killed that meatloaf. Right behind you. Enjoy. Thank you. Thanks everyone for listening. And for those of you playing along at home, we enjoyed some amazing meatloaf here at the studio. Katie and I talked about it a bit, but if you want to make my personal meatloaf recipe, here's what you're going to need to do. Take either a pound of ground chicken or turkey, saute some onions, mushrooms, zucchini, carrots, whatever's in season, but make sure they are super finely diced. Cook those veggies down a bit, add that to the meat with an egg and some Italian breadcrumbs along with some ketchup and barbecue sauce. Then I make another mixture of ketchup, barbecue sauce, mustard, and Worcestershire sauce, and I put that on top. Then you're gonna bake in the oven for about an hour at 400 degrees. And this recipe will also be in the show notes if you want more details. Buon appetito. See you next time. Comfort Food is produced by Wheelhouse DNA for Acast. Our executive producers are Fanny Baudry, Cassie Berman, Leah Sutherland, and yours truly, Kelly Rizzo. Our audio producer is Chiara Noni. Special thanks to Camila Goldenberg for production assistance. Our audio engineer and editor is Matthew Blocka. This podcast is hosted by me, Kelly Rizzo. Thanks for tuning in. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com.